train. We're going! Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the 52nd edition One year. of Overtime. We're glad that you're joining us. Hopefully, this is one of your uh, highlights of your week. Uh, if not, sorry. Is We're it glad your that you're joining. Is it your highlight? Um, no comment. Um, no, I enjoy it. I do. <laughs> we are so glad that you're here. As always, what we oh, hope for is that uh, you would grow in your spiritual walk, walk with God. Uh, if you do that, then it'll be a very... If I had my microphone, I'd take it off. And <laughs> if you did that, it would be a very short podcast this week. I would just give you the cliff notes and say, go back to the website. But uh, uh, what we hope is that this challenges and encourages you in your spiritual walk. Uh, Overtime is basically where we get to do a little bit deeper dive of what we talked about over the weekend, specifically the Sunday morning message. So we always encourage you start there, listen to that message. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the second part of that and we'll do a deeper dive. Today we do have a bunch of questions that we want to get to from a couple different listeners Um, and that'll probably take up a a solid amount of time. But as always, what we try and do is give you some announcements of what's happening within the life of the church. So there is three things that we just want to draw to your attention that are happening within the next couple weeks. Uh, The first is actually happening right now. It is right now as we're recording this, October 13th. On October 12th, we did relaunch the Big Yellow Mug, which is the coffee shop that is in our lobby here. We have social distance practices. There's an outdoor seated area. We're kind of limited inside. There's a whole bunch of kind of uh, COVID rules, I'll say, that we would ask you to follow. But we are back open. So we are kind of doing a two-month experiment seeing yeah. if this is something that is useful for our community useful for you as our church so i would say if you are around if you are interested you like coffee you need a place to to meet with six or less people or you're just looking for kind of a change of scenery don't forget your masks but come on yeah. over we would love to have you here our new hours are from 8 a.m to 12 p.m we've got fresh homemade muffins we've got quiche i saw your wife was bringing in some quiche yes. so that's pretty exciting quiche. so Come on out, check us out. Like I said, it's a two-month experiment in this post-COVID world to see if this is something that is sustainable, something that we can continue to do. So if you're interested, we'd love to see you there. Or if you don't like the hours and want to participate in expanding those hours, volunteer. Yeah. Right? And so we'd love for you to do that. Big Yellow Mug at Gmail. No, I'm sorry. Big Yellow Mug at clcfamily.church. Okay. You can sign up there. Uh, You get to see my wife. My kids are here most days. Oh, it's so lovely. Usually, if I'm not busy, I'm out in that coffee shop. Come come hang out. 8 to 12. We're all there. Yeah. So that is the first thing we want to let you know. The two other things are this coming Sunday, which again, I just want to make sure that I get the dates right. This coming Sunday, which is October 18th, there's another one o'clock Eagles game, which we are have been showing the one o'clock games here on our big LCD screen outside. So if you are interested, you can tailgate, you can bring kind of your your uh, fire pit. Uh, you can this week, yeah. the week before Philly cheesesteaks. So show up. firing up the grills, eating some food, uh, hot dogs. Basically uh-huh. what happens is that at 11 o'clock, you can show up for pregame if you want to, um, but the game starts at one o'clock. So we will be showing that on our screens again this week. So if you're interested, come on out to that. Again, show, show time or the kickoff time is at one o'clock. So that's when we'll be showing it. The last thing that I'll say is that on the 23rd, which is next Friday, we will be doing another outdoor movie night, which will be showing the movie Monsters, Inc. So that's kind of all the details. I don't want to keep going on. I know. Goodness, that. I was asleep. There's like four minutes long. already. So uh, yeah. do you want to kind of give us a recap of, of what we're talking about as we continued uh, Jesus for President Week 2? Jesus for President Week 2. So it's actually just a continuation of the Gospel of Luke Week 14 or whatever it is now. So we're just slowly and methodically going through the Gospel of Luke. And boy, is it beautiful this week. Because we get the genealogy. But before I yeah. go in, would you just read the whole genealogy for us? No, no. that's not, I'll pass on that. Like, I'm not <laughs> so gonna, many names. You didn't even read it on I Sunday. You, it was, you're it like, watch this clip. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. There's so many names and yeah. so much to cover. And I'm not very good at pronunciations. And I got to mumble and slur my words anyway. So it wouldn't be that helpful. So it's got them in front of you. But um, so basically we look at all these names that kind of yeah. lead to Jesus being born. And right first glance this is the things you usually gloss over it makes sense that you would we don't understand this stuff and not much uh, you would think not much to cover there uh, but lots to actually look at and some what we're looking at and will be for three more weeks um is this idea and this is kind of big idea of the whole series in the middle of jesus for president is you have a duty and responsibility to vote for a candidate but you cannot should not 
will not put your hope in that candidate. So place your vote in a candidate, but please don't place your hope in a candidate. Yeah. And so what we're challenging to do this this election season and, you know, all season, but definitely this election season is to take all that hope, take all that, all that you're thinking about and hoping for and desiring and placing it all in actually a person, Jesus. That's what the whole gospel of Luke is about is that we can have certainty about the things we've been taught about Jesus, that truth is not an idea, but a person as he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And so what we'd hope happened, even if you're brand new to the Christian faith, not even sure of it, I've been walking for a long time, that this would be a season that your resolve and hope would actually, um, would be fortified in Jesus, right? And so as you think about that, you read this genealogy, you go, well, what does that have to do? And it has everything to do with where we should better hope yeah. because what you see here is thousands of years of human history kind of chronicled in 17 verses or whatever that is, uh, 16 verses, like just chronicled in, in all this time. And so two different genealogies that you could look at. There's other uh, other things you could do, but you got Matthew and Luke, and they're different. Matthew starts with a genealogy written to Jews, and that one is basically kind of telling Jews, Jesus is one of us. Yeah. Jesus is one of us, right? And so you can put your hope in someone who is God, but he's also like us, identifies with us, has experiences us. So Jesus was a Jew, right? So Matthew's genealogy talks about Jesus being a Jew and walks through all the way back to kind of the foundations of Jews, which is Abraham. Now Luke's is a little different. It's written by a Gentile or a Greek, not a Jew, but kind of the same question. Hey, Luke, can you tell us if Jesus is one of us? And so what Luke does is he chronicles all the way back in human history, all the way back to the, the first human, right? To Adam and goes, Jesus, Jesus came from Adam. So you got Jesus and Adam both coming down this line, both coming from God. And so we just kind of charted through and go, why does this matter? Why should we look at all this? And there's a couple words that jump out that we just kind of highlight, should highlight, want us to highlight. And the first one is providence. Been talking about it a lot. And what I hope happens as uh, you read this passage, learn about this passage, even now, that what it allow us to do is take some really deep breaths, right? Like just go, okay, God still is in this. God still has a plan. Like, you may think our country's in a mess. You're not the first ones to think that. And every generation has thought it. And what I love about the word providence, it means God sees everything and he's working and everything. In fact, I learned this week uh, through a writing, not that it matters, about my great, 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 great grandfather who was a Huguenot pastor in Charleston, South Carolina. But writing about him, someone highlighted kind of that first Latin term that's on the great seal for America, which is a new it uh, coeptus or something like that, which literally means God is seeing and uh, yeah. smiling on our undertakings. This idea, like if you're familiar with it in, 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 in uh, the seal or looking at our monetary you know, pieces, dollar bills, and you see that that triangle with an yeah, eye, see, right? Yeah, yeah, so right. so interesting, it's like it's creepy, and you're like, that's Masonic or whatever yeah. it is. It's cultish. No, when they thought about that, they thought about the Trinity seeing and working in all things. In fact, you could go back and read the words of George Washington who talked about over and over again God's providence of it that there had to be some divine his words intervention going on for what was happening and establishing this nation and so it was in chaos and turmoil and there was bad and there was desperation and one of the things the founding fathers saw the first you know century americans or you know first you know group of americans not in the first century but in the 16 1700s right um they saw that god was at work and so the whole idea here is hey you might not like trump or biden you might think that our world is going to you know hell in a handbasket as i'm hearing people say and all sorts of different things and it's just it's corrupt and broken and there is no hope and i just would pause you for a second and go you're not the first one to feel that no. let's go back and look at 66 70 different generations and all the generations thought there could be no hope and in all the generations god was actually doing something spectacular which leads to the next question of well if god can do something spectacular how do we get him to do it right how do we make him jump in and do those things and here's the craziest part and that's what i want you to hear the other word not just providence god sees all things works in all things he bends and shapes all things for our good and his glory at all times the question is well how do you, what are the stipulations how do we get god right, to do that right. and that's where this word comes in it's just covenant yeah. covenants like a contract or at least the ones we looked at today but without stipulations meaning God is going to do these things no matter what. And so when you see Luke share the story of God as he's researching it, grabbing all the oral documents, all those different things, he is declaring that there is a God who is at work and yeah. doing what only he can do. And it is completely, completely independent of us. 
Meaning, you can't perform correctly. And even we think these things like, well, if God says, you know, my people will call, uh, humble themselves and pray, then he'll heal their land. And it's like, okay, we get a part, but not really. You kind of get a part, but what really is happening is God, God is the one who's healing land. God is doing those things. So what we get to do is we get to pause, take some deep breaths, and go on November 10th, November 20th, December 1st, January 21st, February 2nd, 2021, whatever it is. God is still at the helm, and he yeah. still has his kingdom. Why do we know that? Because of covenant. And so what we did this past week is we looked at kind of four specific covenants that kind of fall in this category. And so what we'll go through again today is kind of the four of those that were highlighted, the Davidic or David covenant, yeah. uh, then the Abrahamic, uh, uh, the Abraham covenant, Noahic, or the Noah covenant, then the Adamic or Adam covenant. Those are the four. And all of those, God's making some promises. And every single one of them, he's picking us up, sitting aside and go, it is not based on what you do or how you perform. It's based on who I am and what I promise. And my word will always come forth, which is really nice because that's why we've been reading through the gospel of Luke because Luke tells us all about the fulfillment of all the promises and covenants that God makes in the Old Testament. And all those fulfillments all come in the person of Jesus. So Jesus yeah. is the answer and the, uh, to covenant. And Jesus is the means and the method by which covenant happens. And so we just kind of looked at where all those covenants are pointing yeah. to Jesus. So what you get to do, which I don't do a very good job of, is take a deep breath knowing that God is bending and shaping all things for your good and his glory. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. Yeah. Or there's nothing you can do to start it. Yeah, right. So it's his work. It's our witness. I feel like yeah, I appreciated the the take that you had on the genealogies yeah. because I too like you know reading the yeah. the dimensions of the temple and the genealogies of like families. Yeah. I just gloss over that. But well, I don't. Because I'm godly. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I am. I, yeah, yeah it makes good, sense. good, yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I appreciated the take because what you did is is you kind of work through it and go, okay, here's the significance of it and the understanding. Yeah. And even Luke in his recording, like, and maybe that's the first thing that we'll talk talk about like in depth is is luke's kind of the way that he did this is different than the way that matthew did it in in the gospel of matthew but what i what i appreciated was even the history of it like you you said um uh, you said that really the israelites were going make israel i know and that's so true and it's so absolutely true that's not a shot at making america great again it's just like that's what they want to make israel great again yeah because they were the chosen nation they were god's people yet they found themselves under Greek and then under Roman rule. So yeah. therefore they're waiting for a Messiah to establish their kingdom. And that's what they longed for. Yeah. Except Jesus didn't come to establish the kingdom that they were expecting. Yeah. He didn't come to make Israel great again. He came to establish his kingdom. And I saw, so I just, even that was, I thought it was very clever how you did that. Thanks. But then even pointed back to the, just the history of it. And even going back to the covenants that were established back in the Old yeah. Testament. So I feel like the, you made the genealogies come alive, but maybe let's yeah. start with that, that first. What is the difference here between Luke's genealogies and then also Matthew? Because as yeah. you read the two and you pointed this out on Sunday, as you read the two, there's it's almost like you get to a point where if you're reading They're them side names. by side, you're like, what? Who are these people? Yeah, like, somebody I mean, made a mistake yeah. here. So here's the interesting thing. That's why I love that we, I tell you, this, there's so much we can miss here if we don't chart through all of Luke. Like, yeah. You know, methodically. And so it's really important. It might be exhausting for you guys to hear it over and over again. But it's really important that we go back to what Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1, which is he writes these things so that we can have certainty of the things we have been taught. Which is why we're doing this series, is that you want certainty, I want certainty. And what we can have certainty in is the covenant that God has made with us, right? But in that certainty, he tells us how he kind of put together the presentation for our certainty. Like, here's what he's going to do. He's going to say, you're going to have certainty of the things you're going to talk because he's going to put together an orderly account of Jesus knew yes, right, right? right? But then he tells us how he, or he tells us how he got that orderly account, right? He went and met with the eyewitnesses. Right, so important right. that this is an investigative journalist who goes and sits down and interviews people, right? And so he went and met with the eyewitnesses. And if you've heard me talk about this, the reason I keep telling you is because I don't want you to see the Bible as some ancient document. Mm. These are real people. And like, these are real people. Like this is, Luke was a, a human being. And he had a pulse, and he had feelings, and he uh, did this work for a guy named Theophilus, who hires him to go study this. That's a real person. And God was orchestrating all this behind the scenes. Theophilus thought it was his idea. Luke probably thought it was up to him to make those decisions, but God was orchestrating right, all right. these things. And so we've seen that happen over and over again. There's a census that these people like uh, Joseph and Mary have to go to this thing. Like somehow they think they're in charge, but are that the Pharaoh are, are the Herod's in charge. It's always right. God. And so God is always doing those things. And so Luke is 
capturing that story. And so he goes and meets with all these people who got to play a part in God's story and maybe didn't even know they were playing a part in right. God's story. So he met with Shepherd, met Mary, met with Joseph, met with whoever he could. But that's not the only thing he did. He actually went and heard all the oral traditions, meaning uh, 95% of the men at that time couldn't read or write, much less uh, women or children. And so the way by which information was... Um, you know, presented was orally and people would be responsible to memorize, know, and declare this and people would come and listen. So there was like curators um, along the way in each, you know, synagogue and each home fellowship group, whatever it is, who knew the story. So Luke, it says, went and heard all the oral traditions. But it also said he went and read all the written documents. Yeah. Now in the past, when I talk about the written documents, almost always point towards the Old Testament, right? right? I go through all the prophets, all the history, all the, all the books of Moses, all those things. And then also the uh, the letters, which a lot of the letters are already written because it wasn't like they did the gospel first in the order that we see in the New Testament. Most right. of it was first. Let me, let me write to right. you and tell you what's going on. What's interesting is Paul comes later than the Gospels, but writes some of these things earlier. But then Matthew and Mark, um, two of the people, one of them walked with Jesus, was a tax collector. Matthew and Mark was someone early on into the Gospel movement in the in, in the book of Acts, right? They write some accounts. So what I've always pointed out is by the time we get the Gospel of Luke, yeah. we are certain that Matthew and Mark had already been re- written. And right. so when he says getting the written documents, we know that it includes those. Right. But what I haven't really shared and gone, but Luke was a Greek. Uh, he was a Gentile, and he would have also been really curious to what's going on in the history of the world yeah. and the history of the culture that he's writing to, Greeks and Gentiles. So he would have also gone to the courthouse or whatever it would have been. He would have learned about the deeds. He would have gone and read the information. And everybody, you got to understand it, it's different than now, smaller populations, but everybody was accounted for because yeah. everybody had to give their money back to right. Caesar. Right. right? Every tax collector, like Matthew, would have had to have gone in and said, hey, okay, Peter, Simon, you and your wife, you owe this much money. So there was a deep uh, level of inspection and, a, and, a, and accounting for all these people. So there were written documents. There were hundreds of them. You didn't have the PDF. But there's a place that all these documents written. And, and the other thing is it would have listed where people come from. Like, okay, this person comes from this person comes from this person. There were really, really um, intelligent and detailed documents. And so when Luke goes and reads these things, he's not just reading these letters or these biographical sketches about Jesus like Matthew and Mark. He's also reading these Greek documents, which leads us kind of to this weird thing. We know that Luke's writing to a Greek audience, right. meaning those people are going, can you tell me whether or not Jesus is like us? Yeah. I don't care about the Jews. They're mean. They're bigots, whatever. Yeah, which don't is care what about the tradition. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I don't even want that. If you tell me I've got to do that, that's gross. That makes right. sense. Circumcision. I don't want none of that. I just need to know if Jesus is who he says he is. I hear he died and I hear he came back to life. If he did, all the things you said probably really important, right? So can you tell me whether or not that story is true? And so Luke is going to tell Theophilus and us that that story is true. And so he's going to present it in such an interesting way that he's starting with these other stories that are pointing to that. And now he's going to start with this genealogy. Now, so what we do know is that he's Greek, would have read the Greek documents, and he would have already read the book of Matthew. So yeah. Matthew decides that he wants people to know immediately the intersection between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this earth. Son of man and son of God, right? When you see those passages show up in the scriptures, you see son of man literally means Jesus' divinity. I mean, I'm sorry, humanity. That's Jesus being a man. Son of God is pointing to his divinity. So what Matthew's trying to say is he is a son of man, but he's also the son of God. And the way we know that is through all the promises that start with yeah. with Jews, right? So let's go back to the, the Jewish nation. Make Israel great again. You want that, right? So let's start with Abraham the way it used to be. And let's start, start with what happened. And let's get all the way to the place where Jesus is the is the fulfillment of those things. So when Matthew starts writing this, he's going to write very specifically about who Jesus is and his um, rights and authority to be in on the kingdom of heaven that's going to be established through the nation of Israel because he is um, of fancy pedigree, yeah. right? I, I, in all this, I think I shared this on Sunday. You know, won't spend much time here today. Is I finally for the first time I've studied a lot of my um, ancestry um, and tracked all sorts of stuff. But I thought, you know, I'm going to just sit down and go as far as I can up my, you know, my surname, my patriarchal side all the way I can as far as I can I get to about the 1300s really really neat but there's just something about knowing where you come from and you know like uh, my great to the 8th or ninth power uh, grandfather was the first uh, Huguenot you know Calvin following Presbyterian type minister in South Carolina in fact the church that he planted and started is still there which you can imagine for me as someone who's a pioneer loves those things there's like this swelling of pride that goes that's my Pierre Robert is his name, right? Um, that's my, my guy. He wasn't French. He was actually Welsh, but he, anyway. So he got all those things. And so it's like, there's something that kind of rises up. And yeah, going, yeah right. and so 
Jesus, he's, he's going to point out Matthew's going, he's daddy's, 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 right. daddy's, right. daddy's, 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 daddy's. David, really, really exciting. So Matthew is presenting to the Jews that this guy's a Jew yeah. and he comes from a good pedigree, meaning God was always planning that. Now, Luke's is completely different. So yeah. in Matthew's, it goes, Joseph, the son of Jacob. Okay, got it. That's not the first Joseph and Jacob in the Bible. They got the one in the Old Testament. That's really cute that Joseph was born of Jacob, you know, and those kind of things. So we have it in the Old Testament, same thing. And so Joseph is born of Jacob. Now, Luke, when it starts, he gets to, you know, verse 30, uh, 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. Lots we can talk about there. You don't have to time today. Being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. You go, uh-oh, we got Joseph, and we got and we got Jacob, and now we got Heli. Right. And so what do you do with that? A lot of people go, see, that's where the Bible is. A lie, right. that's the counter right. example. The only one I need, when we got to the third chapter, here you go. Your Bible's stupid. It's not true. <laughs> so uh, people have tried to do the biblical gymnastics to yeah. connect those things. But the key word in this is what we understand is Matthew wrote to Jewish, Luke wrote to Greeks. And right. so the key word here is the as was supposed. Yeah. A lot of people go, that means he was a stepfather, really, really cute. But the key thing here is understanding Greek context. When they're writing this stuff down and document it, women aren't allowed to be in it. Right. Like they right. are less than human. It just didn't like they just weren't allowed to be in it. And so they would not have shown up in any of these things. So when you see that, that as was supposed really means as it was documented. So Luke is saying, look, as as the Greek said, you know, he comes back later, as the Greek said, this person was the son of uh, Hela. Now, um, they would have pointed out, he would have wanted you to know that that line that he's going to now follow probably isn't the line that Jesus goes to Joseph. In fact, right. when Matthew has there, Jesus goes to Joseph, goes to Jacob. This is Jesus goes to Joseph, and all of a sudden you switch. And what they would have known in the first century, which is different because they would have known what's going on there, they would have recognized Mary, Mother of God, and they would have recognized Heli as the most likely, 90% possibility or more, that that would have been Mary's dad, hmm. not Joseph's dad. So hmm. that, as was supposed, was more about the legal sense. Okay. So there's one or two things you can do. One's called a leveret marriage. You see this with the book of Ruth. This is where someone dies. Um, before they have a kid. So the brother now has to, yeah. you know. Um, Kinsman redeemer. Yeah, like that's right. So you have another yeah. one. But the thing is, is even though the brother impregnates the wife, he still gets yeah. the firstborn is where the lineage comes from. So they're right. going, is that what this is? Um, that's pretty rare and probably not the case. And so what makes the most sense is that it's a completely different lineage, different, yeah. different side of the family tree. So what's really beautiful about this, once you see it there, we now know, which I, no, I really appreciate, like, cause I, it's so complicated, but we now can see both lines going up through. Right. So now we have right. Mary's uh, family tree and we have Joseph's. Yeah. So what, it, what seems evident is Joseph comes straight down from Solomon, right? So yeah. David, Solomon, there's that first one. And I guess that's where we'll get this first covenant that God promises to David. He goes, you're going to have through your offspring, I'm going to build your house. I'm going to make Israel greater than you can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to establish kingdom through through your through your offspring. And through that is going to come the king of the king in the world. world and mm-hmm. that's going to be Jesus. That's going to be the Messiah. So Matthew is celebrating that covenant. That No matter what happens, that is going to happen. Now, the problem with that, for the Jews at the time, they're going to go and wait. Does that make God a liar? Yeah, right. Because if you go back to Second uh, Samuel 7, I think, um, yeah, that's what it is, uh, that God told David that, he, that there'd be a blood descendant right. of his would be would sit on the throne forever. Well, the, so the kingly line was passed down through Solomon. David has Solomon. David's son. Uh, so because he's, in, in those days, the kingly line was passed from father to son, right? Right. But one of the son's descendants, uh, Jeconiah, you can read this in uh, Jeremiah 22, was really, really terrible. And so what God says there is, no one from your line will ever get right. the kingdom again. Right. So now you have this other conundrum. So you got two different issues. Yeah. One, Matthew, then Matthew and Luke, this is what resolves it. One is that the Jews are like, no, that's Joseph. He's the right line. But wait, if it through that line, Jesus doesn't have rights because God said it would never happen. Right. So does that mean God a liar? Does that mean that he right. just had a temper? So that's where you go back to the other side and go, well, the other thing here is if you follow this line, Mary's line, here's what's really neat. You don't go through Jeconiah because Solomon has kids who have Jeconiah. Now, Solomon has a brother named Nathan. Mm-hmm. And through Nathan's line, which still gets all the way back to David, right? right? Not through Solomon, not through that promise, not because that was cursed, but gets back to David. From that line shows up Jesus from Mary. Now, yeah. here's the really interesting thing. That means, biologically, Jesus has rights and blood because yeah. he gets all the way back to David. Yeah. But because he circumvents and bypasses Joseph's line because Joseph is his stepfather, not his real father. He doesn't have the blood curse that's on him. Yeah. So there's something to geek out on if you like those things. It's, <laughs> but it is 
it's crazy to go two different genealogies, right. and it's important that we get them both. So we understand yeah. that he was a Jew, but we also understand that he doesn't have tainted blood. He's right. perfect in every way. He didn't get the same curse that man gets yeah. because he comes to this other side through Mary. So Luke is written to Greeks, and that's why, how we get this genealogy as opposed to yeah, Mary, and uh, Matthews. I, I don't know I, if that's helpful or not. No, I feel like that's good. Like the way that you said it, if you want to geek out on, because I feel like I've, I, I think it was last year, yeah. last year's Christmas message or maybe it was the year before that just really spent a lot of time studying that trying to figure yeah. that out like and there is two lines and in order for the prophecies to be fulfilled Jesus had to come from the line of David but because of this curse that stopped it so it's like ah, well, what's it look like it's going to happen I guess not but then yeah. God has a way like, so let's imagine you believe this stuff which yeah. I don't know 75% of you listen probably do I mean, if this is really real let's go back to that moment when Jack and I just completely yeah. messes all up and let's go back to that statement that God says not through you man yeah and there's a curse. Now imagine the enemy. Yeah. Just celebrating this thing, going, aha, aha, we got to God. He he finally broke down. We did enough tormenting and stuff, yeah. and we corrupted people so bad that God is going not interested anymore. Like in that moment, it feels really good. Like the moment when Jesus gets put in a tomb. Aha! We actually killed God. And so in those moments, this is what's so beautiful about where it seems like there is a complete dead end. Right. Where it seems like there is no way. That's where the gospel has the most um, power and yeah. intrigue. And, you know, that you're drawn to it is because in those moments that like God is still doing something. We might not be able to see it. Yeah. We might be coming to the same conclusion. There's no way. He just said there's no way. There's no way. This isn't going to happen. And yet God is still at yeah. work and bending and shaping things and continuing. That's the story of the gospel. Where there was no way. You cannot give back to God. He makes a way through yeah. Jesus. And so it's got to see the the beauty of the prophecies and the covenants that God, even when it seems like there's, we not only don't follow him, we do the opposite of it. And we're throwing yeah. up roadblocks and obstacles all along the way. And yet God is still <laughs> figuring out a way to make it happen. So it's really neat to see that in terms of covenant, yeah. that God is at work here. And so it'd be really easy to miss the Matthew and Luke comparison and the difference. Yeah. But if you really pay attention to the scriptures, it's pretty neat to see what, what's in there. It's amazing that God does make a way when there seems to be no way. And even in our own lives, like the promises, the things yeah. that you feel like God is leading you to, rarely happen the way that we think that they'll happen right like at least for me that seems to be the case yeah. like uh, okay i think that god is i feel like god has said this or this is what he's going to do but it, very rarely is it like yeah. oh that leads to this 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 wow that was awesome usually it's in a circular way that i'm yeah. like I, I don't know how this could come to be and then it comes to be and that's why the word covenant is really important because yeah. when you talk about covenant love that god has for us a lot of times in the, the Old Testament, most of the time, it's used this uh, Hebrew word, hesed, H-E-C-S-E-D, or hesed, okay. or whatever it is. But it, it's described as um, this unfailing, never-stopping, unquenchable mm. love, right? Not unquenchable, um, like unrelenting love, like mm. no matter what. Like it's just this kind of love. And so it's like this one that it seems like, you know, like it's one of those crazy stories where, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe Taken's the wrong movie. That you, but I'm going to get to you. I'm going to get my daughter. You right, know, like right. I think this. No matter what it is, no matter what gets in the way, God is just, it's never stopping and failing. And that's why I love Sally Joy, uh, Lloyd-Jones' book, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Yeah. Because she it's describes great, covenant great. as this. God loves us. That's what she says. Yeah. With a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever yeah. love and so that's the story of covenant is there is never yeah. a time when god is not loving you and not at work bringing himself back to you yeah. so even in that book like i feel like as i read through that and read it with yeah. in devotions with uh yeah. with our family like yeah. it just that i stumbled over that like the first couple times but she says it several times yeah. in the book and by the end like it's just got this beautiful cadence yeah uh yeah i just uh, really appreciated her explanation yeah. of that so let's let's jump into kind of the the covenant so we've talked oh, yeah. about kind of the significance of of like david yeah. a little bit so let's let's talk about the covenant like the promises that god makes this yeah. solemn binding agreement yeah um but what's kind of the big thing is that we do nothing to earn or deserve that so like i, I don't know how like i guess i'm just going to say let's talk about all the covenants what do you want to okay. highlight yeah, all of those let's start at the beginning then let's imagine what the purpose of covenant is yeah. okay so what's god doing what God is doing is he is ruling and reigning and establishing what he designed in the very beginning. Right. When you cry, when you're sad, when I tell you our nation's sick, and I tell you our world is sick, I tell you you and I are sick, what I want you to hear is it's not supposed to be this way. Yeah. And crying should be evidence of that. Like going to a funeral and feeling such sadness and longing for a relationship that's gone. It was not supposed to be this way. That's why I explained to you that like at the end of your life, no one ever goes, wow, that just 
crept by so slowly. What do people say? It went by so fast. That's why people tell you to soak up the time with your kids because it goes by so fast. That part of you, your soul was not meant to be this birth to death, 20, 50, 80, 100, even a thousand years. That's not how it was wired, right? And so because of that, there is a longing that we have that we haven't been able to figure out. And the way that it was supposed to be is it was supposed to be you and I with God forever. And that was the way it was in the beginning. And so eventually we're going to get back to the beginning of God reestablishing what he established in the beginning. It's just going to take us a while to get around the barn to get there. So what was it supposed to be like? It was supposed to be that we were in great community with God and he was ruling and reigning through us and in us. So God was inviting us into his kingdom to participate in his kingdom, to have dominion. That's a a kingdom word, right, over the world, right? So God was going to rule and reign. And the way by which he rules and reigns is through his people. So we get to establish, I was telling my son this last night because we're thinking about what heaven looks like. And God, you know, he's going, you know, you think a black hole is the way to get to heaven, like all this kind of interesting. I'm going, so complicated because God is going to reestablish his kingdom on this earth. He's like, does that mean we're going to play Nerf gun here? I'm like, why not? Like, does that mean we're going to be playing basketball together? Well, why not? Like, there's something about experiencing all the joy. Like, there is a plan that God would rule and reign, and he'd rule and reign through his people, and it would be perfect. Now, the minute that Adam and Eve tell God they like their plan better than his, that's called sin. That's forfeiture of all the rights to the kingdom. That's what sin is. It's forfeiture. So in that moment, what happened is we tried to play king of our own world right are trying to rule and reign on our own which we are impossible doing so what you see is thousands and thousands of years of human history of people trying to rule and reign yeah and power is an interesting thing and you can see the damage that power does because most time people get power they see people as a means to their own pleasure and joy but that's not the way it's supposed to be so if it was supposed to be god was going to rule and reign in and through his people and then that all gets messed up then what would make sense is that at some point if god is going to fix all this He's going to come back and establish a kingdom by which he rules and reigns. So when we see this first one, Davidic covenant, the David covenant, what God is saying is, look, there is a king and a kingdom. Yeah. And it is, it's kind of what you think. It's kind of what a kingdom is. It's kind of what you imagine in a kingdom. But it's without broken individuals yeah. like David and Solomon, you know, Saul. Yeah. And so the very thing that he, what Luke wants us to know is kind of that last one is God will know he works backwards so he starts with that one and goes all the way back yeah, to Adam right. I don't so in the scriptures you go Adam all the way to David but in that there's just this promise that there will be a king and he will rule and reign in and through us and what what's happening here is God is reminding us that he's going to reestablish the order yeah. and it's going to be right and good and so you go well how does that happen what do I do nothing right yeah. you there's nothing you can do you can't mess it up you can't make it happen that is a covenant meaning God has said it will happen therefore it will happen right. and so when he makes this promise that through David he will establish a house and a home and a kingdom and a nation that's just what's going to happen and so one day guys I don't know maybe it's next year maybe it's a thousand years from now there will be a moment when God reestablishes his rule and reign and he'll allow us to experience that forever. But even better than that is, that's why we call him King Jesus. You don't have to wait till eternity to start participating in that kingdom. You can establish the king or the Lord of your life. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is safe. You can actually establish him as your king and Lord now and go, God, I won't get it all right, but I want to walk with you and follow you and I want you to rule and reign in me so that I can rule and reign in the kingdom so I can bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. You can participate in that. Now, so this promise of the covenant it is, is this. It's it is and it will be. Yeah, right. So there is this invitation because of this promise. It was an invitation to David. It was an invitation to Jeconiah. It was an invitation to Solomon. It was an invitation to every single king that they could participate in the coming kingdom now. It is and it will be. So the first covenant is going, God is going, I'm going to establish my kingdom. So when, when Luke is telling us this, he's reminding us that there is an order and a right and a right kingdom and his promise to one day to make that all right again. Yeah. And how does that happen? Well, through the one who rules and reigns forever, which is Jesus. So what he's promising hundreds of years before is that Jesus would establish himself on this earth as a king. And in fact, he was even called the king of the Jews. The problem is the Jews thought he was going to make Israel great again. The minute that didn't happen, they wanted nothing to do with him because it wasn't their kingdom. It was Mm -hmm. his kingdom. And so the, the covenant promises you get to live and celebrate and be a part of God's kingdom. But you gotta understand it's God's kingdom and not your own kingdom. Yeah. That's the story of the Davidic covenant. Yeah, so as as we look at them and, and covenants was something that I had studied when I was back in school a while ago, so I feel like 
I learned a lot and then I forgot a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, so as we look at them, I think there was a total of five, which we talked about four, but the fifth one being the final covenant, which was the covenant that God establishes with us. Like, and all of these previous covenants that we're even talking about now, Adam, Noah, Abraham, David, like those were all a foreshadowing of what yeah. Christ would ultimately do. So yeah. I guess as I'm looking at these as a whole, like that we specifically talked about David, how does, how do these impact my life? Like as I'm listening to this, as I'm sitting there on Sunday morning, does it matter that I know these, these covenants? Like, well, it matters for in, in two reasons. One, you got a new covenant. That's what Jesus says. Yeah. I'm establishing a new covenant, meaning there's a whole new paradigm and you get invited in it. So um, it matters because you can see that, human response to each of these covenants, right? Yeah, so okay. this one is, no matter what you do, there's nothing, like, God will rule and reign, right? Yeah. So you, so what it even tells us in Philippians, there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, some on the earth, some on the earth, right? I mean, the terrible, terrible moment for some people, it's a glorious moment for others, that every knee will confess. That's Donald Trump, that's Joe mm-hmm. Biden, that's Barack Obama, that's George Bush. Every knee will one day at some point declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, really, really important. That word Lord means the one with absolute rights and authority. Right, right. So why this matters is they, what you're seeing here is God is making that promise that, hey, David, there will be the Lord and he will rule and reign forever. So our response is, if that's the case, why would we continue to fight against this mm-hmm. coming kingdom if it's the one that God came to establish through Jesus? And by the way, it's one worth trusting in. Yeah. The problem with all the other kingdoms is you had to put your trust in a, a fallible human. Right. So... A lot of people thought David was good, yeah, but not everybody. Yeah. Bathsheba's husband sure didn't, as right. he was getting murdered, right? right. And right. so these are broken worldly kingdoms. Right. And part of the issue for us is it makes that makes sense to us to submit ourselves to a leader or a ruler because we're suspicious they're not that good. And mm-hmm. you're right, none of the other ones are. So what this is is an invitation to finally place your allegiance and hope in a king and a mm-hmm. lord who can actually do it. So the first thing to say, see here is God has promised he's going to have a king and a kingdom. Yeah. Where that puts you is that a choice of going, do you want in on his kingdom or do you want to keep pretending you have your own? Mm-hmm. Now, at some point, you come to the conclusion that you don't have your own. And so then once you get there, you're going to go, well, it's all for naught. Or you're going to go, everything I long for is still available, but it has to be found in the king of kings and yeah. the lord of lords. And so it is this response of going, if this is true, I have a, I have a decision to make. Do yeah. I go ahead and get in on this kingdom right. or do I stand in opposition to it? Yeah. Those are kind of the two things. You see it with David. You see the fights and the wars and there are yeah. two kingdoms, one that you in opposition and one in the kingdom of God. And so there is this time where you align your allegiances in the middle of this, not to, not to the right, not to the left, not to the elephant, not to the donkey. You align your allegiance to the only king who will reign forever. Yeah. So that's our first response to come in. If this is true, what do I do? Well, that means I place myself under the lordship of the king, Jesus. So that would be the first yeah. response there, I think. And so as I'm thinking through covenants, like one of the things that covenants happened, there was always a responsibility on both parties in a covenant, except what we see is that God takes on that role for both parties in every single covenant. Like it's it's covenants that David or Abraham or Noah, like they'll fail at, yeah. but God still takes on that covenant. He still takes on the responsibility, which was part of the point of what you were trying to say on Sunday, right? Yeah, so I would, this is where it gets coming. I'd say it's without stipulations, but it's not because yeah. it's without stipulations. There are stipulations. They're just stipulations you can't fulfill. Right. So when you right. hear them, you go, well, I can't ever do that. Like you can't live a flawless life. You can't follow all the rules. You can't do all the right things. You can't always have a pure heart. Yeah, so because of that, God goes, here's how it's going to happen. There is a price to be paid to enjoy these covenants and be in the kingdom. Yeah. But why I say it's without stipulation is because you're not the one who pays it. Right? Right. So let's say I give my child a house and go, free gift, you get the house. You got yeah. married, here's your house. Well, there was a price for the house, right? But I don't have to talk to them about the price because they don't pay the price because I just would have paid the price. I'm, right. First of all, I'm not going to do that, right? <laughs> but there's this idea that there is a price to be paid, but it's beyond what they could pay right. for it. Right. So the covenant is, yes, God is just and perfect and equally, it'll, it'll all level itself out and and be equal among all things, right? Like God says the wages of sin is death. That means there right. is a cost for it. There is a stipulation to the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life. So when you see the word covenant, particularly in this sense, God is making a promise. He's telling us that there's going to be a payment to be paid, but he's also telling us, not really wise in terms of, you know, uh, a negotiation. Yeah, right. he's going, you can have it all and I'll pay for it all. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, wait, shouldn't there be some kind of negotiation? Like, shouldn't you see if I'm actually going to do that first? Right. Shouldn't you follow through? Yeah, yeah, like, like, shouldn't you, know, like, give me, like, a month plan, see if I do it. Like, and it's like, nope, I'm doing it all. Yeah. You want it? 
it's all yours, right? And yeah. so there is a stipulation. We just don't pay the stipulation. So what we see in all these stories is there's a promise of what's going to come. Yeah. And there's a promise of how it's going to be paid for. And in all those things, all those promises, there has to be a fulfillment, yeah. a due date. And in all those due dates, there is a payment that's paid, but it's actually paid by the one who comes through all these covenants and the yeah. promises that Jesus make, or God makes in Jesus. Yeah. So as we, I'm sorry if my question kind of changed gears, yeah. but so as we're looking at these, is there anything for the Abraham Abrahamic yeah. covenant, Noahic cov- covenant, and then Adam's covenant? Like, yeah. is there anything specific yeah. that you wanted to drill down? So on what those? I hope, and I don't, it's not probably not fair for it to be completely linear. Probably not like how to. Here's the steps, yeah, right. but kind of I, what what I'd love to have happen is go, huh? If there's a king and a kingdom, and he promised the rule and reign forever. How do I get in on it? Yeah. Right? right. So how do how do I submit myself in that kingdom? Right. And that's where I, I like this idea of working backwards from that. And you go, well, okay. Well, in order for people to experience a king and get a better king, there is this process that happened. And so that's why I love that it works backward from David yeah. back through the lineage all the right. way to Abraham. And that's why I want to highlight Abraham's because then you go, well, this is how it all started. Right. Love Genesis 1 through 11 because just shows us the brokenness of our world and all that kind of stuff. Kind of reset buttons multiple times in the scriptures, lots of brokenness and pain. And God then establishes a covenant that he's going to bless all people. And he says it through Abram, who's going to become Abraham. And he's going to say, through your offspring are going to come, you're going to bless all people. Now, by the way, what he's really talking about there, he's talking about all sorts of stuff, but he's actually talking about what Luke is now, you know, declaring that the offspring that does all the blessings is Jesus. Got to understand this. Like if God does nothing else for you, like if he takes your life today, doesn't give you any oxygen, doesn't pay, doesn't create a way by, uh, by what you eat this week mm-hmm. or gives you shelter. What God did for you 2,000 years ago in the personal work of Jesus is far beyond what we deserve. So when we think about the blessing of all people, God stumped you, or, you know, he stamped your ticket. He punched your ticket and gave you the opportunity, if you so use it and receive it, to be with him and enjoy his favor forever. So when you go, well, this king's going to rule and reign. You get to be in on the covenant, and it's going to happen because God's going to bless all people through Abraham's offspring, which is Jesus. And you go, okay, how do I get in on that ticket? What do I do? Well, then we can say, okay, when God started that covenant with Abraham, what were his instructions, hmm. right? If those are ruling and reigning and through Jesus, David's covenant reminds that. What were Abraham's instructions to get in on the covenant? And that's why it's so important. In Genesis 12, it says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I, hear me, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you see this over and over again. God says, I will. I will. Yeah. I will. I will. So interesting because you think about like these political stump speeches. What do you hear? Well, if I was president, I will. I will. I will. Do you hear these things? But there is one who actually will, and he's already cashed it in. Yeah. and sent it. Right. So he's telling Abraham all the stuff he is going to. Not Abraham's going to do, but he's going to do. And Abraham messes it up all along the way. Right. But you go, well, what was Abraham's part in it? Well, the only thing that he instructed Abraham to do to get in on the blessing is this. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. So literally, Abraham steps out of Old Kingdom, his dad's house, yeah. in Babylon, whatever that is, pagan world, and he steps in to this kingdom that he can't see yet or experience. Yeah. So that is what faith is. Faith is believing, even when your senses can't tell you uh, tell you otherwise, right? Like to walk into the land, he's going, there's no kingdom about that. That's just all desolate. Yeah. And so there's this there's a step that happens. There's this responsibility for us. The only responsibility, you want to get on the kingdoms, you step into the kingdom. You just step into the kingdom. That's why I talked about the ark at the end. You yeah, lay right. into the ark, right? And you right. step into the kingdom. The only part we play is actually to step into the kingdom. It's yeah. to believe that it's there and walk into it. Like you see it over and over again. You see when Joshua crosses in the promised land, it says that the Jordan rivers separated when the soles of their bare feet touch the water. There's this irreversible step. There's this irreversible step. And then the kingdom of heaven, the promised land, became evident to them. So there is there is this process for us in faith. Because it says without faith, this is impossible to please God, where we step into the kingdom. So faith is an action word, not something you just believe. You don't go, well, I'm waiting for God to work out all the details. That's not faith. Yeah. Faith is going, God will work out all the details yeah. and operating in that. Now, one of the questions that came up is, well, does that mean we have a part in that? Yeah. Do we not? Maybe you can read it. Yeah, I think, so let me go ahead and read it. It says... Um, uh, in today's sermon, Josh, you mentioned, or you seem to imply that it was, that it was up to me to get 
into the ark. Now, yes, so we're me, talking about the up. way that Noah's family was protected is they actually yeah. stepped into the ark. The way that Moses was protected is he stepped into the, the you know, was put into a baby basket. Someone placed right. him into that. Right, yeah. And so for me to take a step out of belief and faith, but the gospel is foolishness to the natural person, and I have to be first to be born again by the Spirit, a proactive move on his part, not something that is up to me or that can be determined by me like the wind in order to understand the things of God. And even then, it is only those people who are chosen in him before the foundation of the world, a.k.a. before I was born. They're uh, foreknown and predestined to be holy and blameless before him. So that's kind of the question in that. Uh, is it, so it's us, it's not? what like? Oh, uh, yeah, so I think you even mentioned there, hey, this might be a good time to talk about free will versus predestination. Right. And to differentiate. I'll tell you, it makes, it makes your head hurt, right? And so yeah. <laughs> uh, here's some examples, right? So we have Noah. God gives him instructions. Yeah. And the only reason you get instructions is if, like, a, a teacher leaves instructions for the substitute because they're not going to be there. So we get all this, then Noah's given instructions. And the next thing we see is the rain starts falling. Yeah. That's 100 years. Does that mean God was absent? I don't know if he was. But I don't know why he'd give instructions if he was going to help him build it. Yeah. Right? So if he's like, I'll build it, you just hang out. So there was a, a real responsibility mm-hmm. for Noah in this. So there is a piece of personal responsibility we get in the kingdom. Yeah, right. right? You tell Adam to have dominion over the earth. You name the, or the animals. Name them. You know, he says, don't eat from that fruit. There is a responsibility we get in the kingdom. And one of the things that we talked about even in the scriptures, it says, let everyone work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Meaning there is a part that we're working out. But then it says, for it's God who does the work inside of us. What? Right, you mean, is right. it me or is it God? And I just go, the answer is yes. And so, well, what about predestination? Are you saying that, you know, even Romans 8, 28, for God, to, uh, uh, for God works all things together for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we're like, we love that verse, verse 29, for those he predestined. Just joking, let's not talk about that. All right, let's just end, let's just end that. 28 right yeah. you got those things so what do you do with that and what ends up happening is we just try to avoid it because we don't have right. real good answers but it's okay to say i don't know yeah like one of my favorite things is the, the word election right that's idea that someone's chosen we understand election so god elects people that means he 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 checks the ballot with us but not all people does that make me feel dirty is that not appropriate what do i do with that how do i respond what does it mean to be elected and chosen if he chooses these people it means he doesn't choose these people and one of my one of my heroes uh, charles spurgeon who was a major guy in the predestined world god predestines all things that's the providence piece right he would pray before a sermon god would would you draw your elect hmm. like today would be the day that the ones you elected would they come to know you and then he would say this and would you elect some more Right, and it's like well, I don't know exactly how it works. I don't know what that looks like, but I do know that it's beyond um, my understanding of how those things work. I believe you and I have free will. Right, right. I think that's a really important part. But the reality is, I can tell you how your free will works out for you and me. Right. So when I see free will, yep, we all we have it. We have it. We get to make those choices. We get to do those things. But the reality is, in your free will, left to your own decisions and your own devices, it will eventually lead to your own demise, right? Left to your own decisions, your own devices, it'll eventually lead to your demise. Meaning, your ability to make wise decisions on your own is impossible, right? Enough time with your free will, you will wreck your life. That's actually what hell is. It is living in your, I mean, I'm talking about a, a literal hell. Living with your own decisions, your own things, where you are trying to be Lord of your life to the point where you're not Lord of your life to, you spend an eternity disconnected to that one, which is Lord yeah. of life, right? That's why you could see that. You could see like um, pictures of this and addiction, yeah. maybe. The things that you thought would fill you. You had free will to make that decision. Right, right. But you get to a point where that free will to make a decision literally eventually leads you to captivity where you no yeah. longer have free will. So right. the reality is your free will eventually just leads to your own captivity. So if your free will leads to your captivity, how do you get out of that captivity? Well, that's why AA ten, tends to work because one of the first declarations is we admit that we are we are inadequate and incapable of overcoming this on our own, right? So the idea of free will is really, really beautiful because what free will really is is it is um, a litmus to reveal how much we need a Savior. So, yep, you have free will. Exercise it, and you probably have. And eventually at some point you'll get further enough, farther enough down the track to go, this isn't working. I need something. I need Jesus. And so what God does is he predestines an option for you to get out of your own captivity, and that's all him. Meaning you are running down a big waterfall, and you're going to fall off the waterfall. You're just going to. No matter what you do, the decisions you're going to make are going to eventually lead you into the pit, right? No matter what you do. So the only option for you, because you can't do it on your own, you can't save yourself, the only option is that God would be so gracious to pluck you out of the water. 
And then you go, well, that's really nice of him, but why doesn't he do that for everyone? Oh, well, who says he doesn't offer that to everyone? Yeah. Like, who says that's not an option? Well, but if he only predestines some, does that mean he predestines others for hell? And it's like, no, 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 no. God doesn't send anyone to hell. That's not how it works. And the reality is, um, what happens, you and I spend all of our life going, we want to be Lord of our own lives. We want nothing to do with you, God. And guess what happens? Eventually, all of us get our own wish there, right? That's how it works. God doesn't send people to hell. We make the decision that we want nothing to do with God. And why in the world would God want, want, want to force himself on someone who wants nothing to do with him if all of heaven is going to be spending time worshiping him, right? And so you have this all this stuff going, well, your free will will eventually wreck it for you. And then God has the ability to look in and go, that person will love me. That person's heart will turn towards me. That person will not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so he turns his hope to them and offers it to them. So does predestination mean that God selects people to go to hell? Absolutely not. Does that mean he chooses who to save? Well, maybe. Or maybe his predestination is offered to those he knows will receive it when he offers it. Right? And so it would be like this. It would be like um, if I were had a bunch of steak and I you know, slaughtered a cow and I'm handing out a bunch of steak. I'm not going to cut up this really nice piece of meat and put it on a vegetarian's plate. Yeah. Right? Why? It's wasted. Yeah. It's just wasted. And so does that mean his grace is extended mm. to those who receive it? Quite possibly. So the free will predestination thing aren't really like this far apart thing. The reality is they're kind of like a horseshoe bent together yeah. and going. The, the free will piece we all have, but we all will end up in the same spot. Far from God, in captivity, and the only one who can get us out of it is Jesus. So the way to look at that is, okay, let's think about the ark. Well, here's one example of the ark. There's only two words in the scriptures in Hebrew that talk about it. There's Noah's ark, right? Yeah. That the way it happens, Noah built it, and then he stepped into God's kingdom. He hears from God. God gives him a picture of what to do, and Noah then moves forward in that, right? Yeah. So it doesn't start with Noah. Noah had no idea. It doesn't start with Noah. It all starts with God unveiling his plan, and then Noah getting the opportunity to reveal it. So unlike Noah or participated, unlike God, like Noah figured it all out. Yeah. God makes himself known to Noah, like the Holy Spirit makes himself known to us, and then gives us the ability to make the decision to walk in it. So if you have the ability to turn your face towards God and trust God, it's because he has made himself known to you and made his spirit available to you. So when it says that none of this, faith without works is dead, that it's impossible to please God without faith, but faith is a move of the spirit and a gift to our life, then yeah. if that's the case, well, how does all that work? Well, the reality is God presents himself to us and we therefore can lean ourselves into him. So you got that one, Noah. Now, on the other side of it, you have the story of Moses. Mm -hmm. Now, Moses was placed into an ark for protection. What did Moses do? Yeah, he, he was an infant. He was a baby. That's right. So he did nothing to be placed in the protection of that. Yeah. It was his mother led by the king of the world who placed yeah. him in that. So there's sometimes in Scripture you see that people play their part in walking in obedience. Yeah. If you have the opportunity to make a decision, then make the decision to walk in obedience. If you have that opportunity. Now, there are going to be some times in your life well, it's nothing about your opportunity. That's where it gets confusing. Well, I didn't end up here. How did I end up here? God does something here. That's right. So you don't always get to make a decision. But if you feel like you get the opportunity to make a decision, make the right one. Yeah. If you don't, then praise Jesus that someone else placed you, the Holy Spirit, yeah. into the ark to get you there. So I don't, it's a really long, non answer. Go ahead. <laughs> if you feel like you get to make the decision to turn your face towards Jesus, place yourself in the yeah. ark. Here's my recommendation to you. Do it. Yeah. Just do it. Do it. Right this second. Just lean in fully. Right? To acknowledge Jesus, to call him Lord. If you believe that God has revealed himself to the point that you can do that, that's all I get from God. So take it and receive it. Right? If you've ended up here completely by accident, then receive that as well. Right? And so this is the last thing I'll say here is what this what some people try to do is make this be a shameful thing. Well, why would you worship a God who, you know, chooses you but doesn't choose that person? Like it's a lot more nuanced and complicated than that. But here's the thing, it'd like be someone telling their kid why would you love your dad really well because he's a good father when other people don't have fathers hmm. what what if i got a father why wouldn't i and i have access to him why wouldn't i spend time with him because hmm. that's what it is in fact by the way for those of you who've lost a father you would say if you still have your father still please cling to him hmm. not just because you don't have one doesn't mean you don't want that for other people you long for that so just go if it's available to you that's a work of the holy spirit making god known to you Please don't waste it. Yeah. And I don't think because he's made it known to you, it will be wasted. So really, really complicated. I get that. Soul freedom, yes, you get it. But really what it does is just leads you to a messed up life until finally you surrender and go, God, would you be Lord of my life? Mm -hmm. So soul freedom leads to awareness, which leads to surrender of your spirit and your free will to that. That's where it says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's your mm -hmm. freedom. 
uh, holy and pleasing, so that's your spiritual act of worship. Meaning, if you have been held in captivity, don't go back to it. Give it to the one who doesn't lead yeah. you to captivity. Yeah. So long answer to. Yeah, sorry. I do want to jump into. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, there's some questions, and we'll get to as many of them yeah. as yeah. we can because there's I think there's like five or six mm-hmm. uh, questions in this specific one. Didn't know if there's uh, I don't know how to do this. Whether we should do the questions and then do the follow up, but maybe do you want to? Is there any final thoughts that you had in that, and then we'll spend the rest of the time doing questions? Maybe? I would just say if you're intrigued by this or interested, where I would ask you, and this is. Um, I don't, I'm done to read it today. Won't well, I, I feel like oh, let's trust God's providence in this. That so this is how He wants us to kind of use our time. But Paul really does lay this out for us in terms of what I would offer is soul freedom, predestination, um, what happens for us. And so what you see, and you'll get to see it this weekend, even as well as what Jesus conquers in temptation that Adam couldn't. We basically get to two a place where there's only two people who are fathered biologically by. By God, right? Move of a spirit, breath, whatever it is. Jesus is born through Mary from God. Adam is born out of the breath and dust, mm-hmm. right? So there, he creates two people. Those are his two children, first and second Adams, right? So first and, and so what the scripture of Paul says is there is one Adam who got us into all this, this messy right. lineage right. brokenness. And then just as one Adam gets us into it, another one, God's other son, gets us out of it. Right. But more than gets us out of it, gets us into an eternal life. So I would just say, sometime this week, would you just grab Romans chapter 5 and ask God to speak to you? Mm-hmm. I, um, I'd recommend the ESV really, really good, but if, if that's a little daunting, just go to BibleGateway.com, type in Romans 5, and then click on the message version and just read that the brilliance of what God does in reconciling all the brokenness in, the, in soul freedom. God, uh, you know, Adam had his own free will and it wrecked it. And God and predestination or election through Jesus and what he does to resolve all that. So you see that perfect mashup if you'd read that and pay some attention to it. Well, uh, I want to spend the rest of our time. We've got uh, several minutes here. Um, But I'm just going to go through as many questions as we can. So the first one says this. I'll I'll go with this one because there's a compliment in there for you. That's nice. uh, We'll stroke your ego a little bit. I think the way that Josh related the wisdom of the Bible to the current sickness that we are experiencing in our nation is brilliant and not divisive in any way. Are you aware of other approaches that are similar or different that we can also learn from? Specifically, Reverend MacArthur at Grace Community Church in California seems to be growing his church family by his not bow to Caesar stance. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I'm very familiar with John MacArthur. Candidly, I don't think he's very nice. Uh, just like my experience with his tone with people, it's pretty harsh. Um, I disagree with him theologically on uh, the work of the Spirit. Like he would classify himself as a cessationist, meaning he thinks all the work of the Spirit stopped in the first century. Mm-hmm. I still think the Spirit moves. There's still evidence and uh, uh, evidence of the Spirit in our lives, even things like speaking in tongues, you know, manifestations of miracles, all those kind of things. So uh, that doesn't mean he's not a Christian. I think he is. I think he walks to the Lord, and I think he offers a lot of insight and um, uh, great Bible teaching. I've referenced this stuff multiple times in teaching because he does some good stuff, particularly. Um, read a lot of the stuff when it came to Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, his perspective of what the angels, the messengers were versus someone like Driscoll or Piper. They're different. So mm-hmm. thankful for those things. And so I would just say this is a both and. And I am familiar with basically him refusing to, uh, I guess, uh, follow the rules of Governor Newsom or whatever and going, hey, it's a church. No one can tell us what to do. We're an essential business. We're going to keep meeting. And I would agree with that. He has every right to do that. And I have no problem with him making that decision. And I would trust that that's what the Lord has led him to do. I know, By the way, I don't feel like either one of these decisions is what's going to grow as church. I think the Holy Spirit is doing what the Holy Spirit is doing, and there are folks that will gravitate towards that movement as the result, which is great. Glad the kingdom goes forward. However, there are people that will leave that movement for the same reason. And so where it gets complicated is to point at a person and go, they got it all. They hold in the book on how to handle this. I trust them fully. This is the guy. This this is our way. Um, and, and define it as prescriptive. I wouldn't say this is prescriptive. First of all, the scriptures don't prescribe it. I'd say it's more descriptive of a way a church is handling it and uh, the fruit that happens on there. And I would argue the fruits because probably of a purity of heart, hmm. if it's a purity of heart. Now, on the other side, which I think it probably is, this is not a judgment on his decisions. On the other side, there's another guy, uh, Andy Stanley, who... Has literally taken the exact opposite approach in Atlanta, which, by the way, is Georgia, where there's all sorts of permissions. Andy has actually declared uh, that they will not meet again until January indoors. Now, they're a super large mega church with lots of seat turns, meaning two or three different services each day, and it'd be hard to clean all that kind of stuff. But his argument is hey, we really 
feel like there's a response to be really good neighbors, and we can't imagine how this is being neighborly or how this is creates a, an, an unchurched environment that our church environment where unchurched people love to attend that's their yeah. mission right so you got uh, uh you got john MacArthur's going you know we want the holy word of god to be taught in this deepest ways and people the whole understand the whole counsel of god and all of the scriptures and so high value on making sure the words start every week and it makes sense they do that in person and he's going hey our mission is to uh to be a church that unchurched people feel welcome in and attend. And as a result of some of the stuff that's going on in our world, many people would feel unsafe coming to this church, and so they've gone on the other side. Again, there's things I disagree with there and things I agree with. Two different people, both love Jesus, will spend an eternity with one another. And so one of Andy's guiding statements, and I think it's really good and really helpful for all of us and all this stuff, is he says you should ask the question, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? And what I would ask of either Dr. MacArthur or Andy Stanley, or Reverend or Pastor Stanley, however you say that, um, is, is this to prove a point or to make a difference? If the goal here is to make a difference, then perhaps this is the best way to make a difference. And so let's continue to meet, gather together, and give God the opportunity to make himself known each and every week. Hey, uh, Stan, Andy Stanley, is this your goal to make a difference in showing your neighbors that you hear them? You're being respectful of authorities in th- ways that they define, even if you don't agree with it, so that you can love your neighbor as yourself. And I think God will do really, really great things on both ways. Same thing I told you this past Sunday, because the key to all this isn't getting it right. The key to all this is Matthew chapter 5, where it says, Blessed is the pure in heart, for they'll see God. So do I think God will be seen in both those things? Absolutely. Now, if you're wondering for us, we're doing both, right? Mm-hmm. We're going, no, we're not going to wait till January to meet. There's opportunities to worship now. Let's create spaces by which people worship. And yet, at the same time, let's be honoring of the guidelines set before us so that we're respectful of those things. So this isn't trying to be the middle ground and keep everybody happy. It's going, how can we do it right now in a way that helps make it simple for as many people mm-hmm. as possible in our community to uh, to connect to God and one another? By the way, uh, what we're seeing is even for many of you, uh, there's more space indoors than what we're using right yeah, now. Right. So it doesn't seem that a lot of people are now going, we got to get back indoors, got to get those things, understand masks, complicate that. So uh, really, really long answer just to go, yeah, I'm aware of Dr. MacArthur, agree with his heart and pleasing Jesus and excited that he's going to continue to teach the word. I agree with Andy Stanley on trying to be a good neighbor. And so what we're trying to do, think about what Paul says, we're trying to be all things to all people in all ways so that some... <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Some might come to know Jesus, and so um, by the way, that's what's on our letterhead in the '80s and '90s. One of yeah. Pastor Jeff's big verses is going, "How in the world do we do all things for all people?" Right. So that's what you're seeing here: is how do we engage people in person? How do we engage people at the coffee shop? And yet, how do we be mindful of folks who right. are in the red stage of this? So, um, yep, aware, and we're wrestling through that, reading through it, asking Lord to reveal, talking to our session about it. But it's yeah. it's not we're not doing any of this out of fear. Our yeah. worry, either from the virus or from the government, we're trying to do it in obedience with the Spirit and however the Spirit would lead us. Well, uh, maybe quickly I'll yeah. try and do one more. It says this. It says, when God pressured Egypt's Pharaoh to set the slaves free, he used natural disasters to inflict economic pain and social suffering to demonstrate his power. Are we seeing something similar now with wildfires, floods, severe storms, and a virus that was used to pressure the government to take action that broadened the economic pain and mental suffering throughout the nation? Really good question, and this is another one of those nuanced ones yeah. in that. Um, here's what I'll say, I think God's causing this. He hasn't told me he is. And in essence, I'm not trying to even be facetious there. I haven't heard that from him, so it'd be hard for me to go, yep, God is doing this. Yeah. The way that I like to speak on behalf of God is through the words that he's given me. And so that's his scriptures. So I haven't found that there. In fact, I would even say one of the interesting things is in the middle of some really chaotic times, um, Elijah, you know, had this great moment where God moved in a great way. And then yeah. he gets fearful for his life and he goes and runs away. Right. And then while he was there, like God keeps saying to Elijah, why are you here? And Elijah's going, it's just me. No one loves me. I'm the only one who worships you. And he keeps going, why are you here? So he asked Elijah a lot of questions, kind of established his experience and all that. So kind of some emotional intelligence stuff. But then then these, you know, like natural disasters happen, earthquakes, yeah. all sorts of stuff. And Elijah keeps going, okay, God, is that you? Like, okay, God's asked the question. Elijah's answer it with, you know, martyrdom and woe is me. And then Elijah starts asking questions. God doesn't answer another. Like, so he asks, is that you, God, in the wind? Is that you? And then it says this. And then God heard a still, small voice. Yeah. In other words, God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the thunderstorm. He was in the still and the quiet. Yeah. So say that and go, well, from there, it looks like God wanted Elijah to know something. And boy, did those big things. Yeah. 
draw his attention to it. But God wasn't those things. He was the voice speaking in the quiet during those things. And so what I would say is um, God is a perfect steward. He does not waste our pain. Is God causing this? He hasn't told me he is. But is he allowing it? Well, absolutely. If he's sovereign and providential and if he bends and shapes all things for our good and his glory, that means if he wouldn't have stopped this, he would. Hmm. So he hasn't stopped it. So I would go, it's like cancer. It's all sorts of things. Does God cause it? No, a world is broken and evil. But the beautiful thing about God is it says what the enemy meant for harm, what you meant for harm, whatever it is, God uses for good the saving of many lives. Yeah. And so yeah. I would say you can find God in this because when we pause and look for God and we go, my money's, my money's running out. Okay, Jesus, could you be enough? Oh my gosh, I'm so afraid of this virus. Jesus, could your spirit fill me and protect me? You know, all these different things. There is a place that we, these things should and could and will draw our attention back to him, not because he causes them, but because he is not going to waste them. When Herod uh, does the things that Herod does and killing babies multiple times, right? God uses that to show his goodness and his favor. Like when, when you see all these different things happen in the scriptures, when you see the persecution of Christians, does God want them all to die? No. But did he use it to get the gospel out of Jerusalem into the yeah. Samaria, right. Ju- uh, Judea, outermost parts of the earth? Absolutely. So I would say what I would, I would challenge you with is not trying to figure out what and define this as God's, you know, consequences yeah. or, you know, discipline or punishment and go, but if God has brought this here, where do I look and how do I see him in this? How do I see what he could be doing? And so probably not causing it, hmm. definitely allowing it, lots to learn from it. But what we're going to hear from God is not in the loud mess of it, but in a still small voice. So I challenge you as you think about these things to pause. When you get something that overwhelms you from the news, hit mute, cut it off, and just sit still before God and go, God, that's not you. Hmm. But I'd love to hear from you. That would be my challenge there. Well, that is all the time that we have now. We'll try and get to some of these other questions yeah. maybe next week because there's a few more follow-up. But I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Again, whether you're watching live or you're checking this out via podcast um, or on our website, thank you so much for joining us. If you have questions, please email us overtime at clcfamily.church. And we will be back next week to start year number two. I yes. Guess. That's yes, pretty yes. exciting. So thanks, guys. Have a great week. That was it. Done. That's a lot of work.